We're in a series called Christianity Light. And we've been talking about how things, how we have diluted, how we have altered the ingredients of the gospel in so many ways in the modern church in America. We've, we've made it to where the gospel is only fun and pleasurable and blessing and favor and good things and have a great day and he's a good God and all those things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but the problem is that's only part of the gospel. There is another side of the, of the, of the gospel in the Bible. And, and if I remove anything from the gospel, then I'm getting a falsified gospel. I'm not getting the full story. I'm getting something that's diluted. I'm not getting the entire gospel because ingredients have been pulled out of it. And God says, don't, don't alter this and, and don't just preach part of it. And here's what I know. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then, then you and I can't say, well, we live today and we need to alter the gospel to make it palatable for our culture. No, no, no. Here's what I believe. When God wrote the Bible, when he inspired the word of God and wrote through all of the different people who wrote in the scripture, God was very much aware of this year in which we're living. And that, and I believe that it's still relevant for 2023 and we can't write it off and say, well, it was written back then. The Bible is a today word. And I've talked about different areas of Christianity light. We've talked about in the first week, talked about being saved without power. How can you be saved without power? The, Jesus said that you are not, you and I are to have power. The Bible says that there are some who embrace a form of godliness, but they deny the power. And God says you can't deny the power of God if you're truly a Christian, because the power of God is the power for salvation. Then we talked about being saved without prayer. How can we have a relationship with a person with whom we never even talk. How can you be a real Christian if there's no prayer at all? And today, I want to talk about being saved without cost. That, that's not a subject that you hear in many messages about today, but it is something that Jesus spoke a lot about. And if Jesus spoke a lot about it, then it, it's something that we still need to hear today. You know, some people think that after you become a Christian, that life is going to be easy they say they think it's going to be a bed of roses. It's just going to be simple and no issues, no problems. They think that you're not going to have to go through things that the people in the world go through because now you're a child of God. But the truth is, when you become a Christian, you need to know you're still going to go through some hard things. You're going to go through some even some horrible things as a Christian. But there is a difference because the difference is that when you were in the world, you went through it all by yourself, but now you have Jesus to lead you through it and lead you out of it. And that's a huge, huge difference. Amen. So listen, I want you to pray together with me and we're, then we're going to dive into the word and just let God say whatever he wants to say today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we hear this, that you would bring a change in our lives. I pray that we'll, we'll walk out of this building totally radically changed. Lord, change our thoughts, change our minds, change our actions. We did not come through into this place to go through the motions of doing church. We need you to move in our lives, deep in our innermost being. We don't want things to taste good to our flesh that don't fill up our, our spirits. We invite you into this place. We invite you into our lives. You have free reign. Have your way in us today. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Luke 14 is where we're going to start. I'm going to pick it up to verse 25. This is what it says. A large crowd was following Jesus. Now, why was a large crowd following? Well, 
A large crowd wasn't following him in the beginning when he first started his ministry. But as you know, Jesus was getting pretty big on the circuit here. He was doing miracles and signs and wonders. And he was having banquets with fish and bread. And, and he was feeding uh, thousands of people. And of course, you know, these people that are being healed and, and being fed, they're going back and they're telling everybody what happened. So now he's getting pretty famous. And wherever he goes, there are large crowds. And so it says a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must. Now, you must means that's not a suggestion, right? Are we on the same page? You have to realize that Jesus is saying this. So I need to forget what I think and forget what I believe. Well, I know that Jesus says that, but I think no, because when you say that you've moved into opinion idolatry and you've uh, moved into worship your, of your own opinion, you can't do that. He listen. he's saying he's got a lot of people that are following him and he looks around at the crowd and he says, you guys aren't really getting what following me is all about. So I'm going to have to talk to you because it's about more than just the exciting miracles and, and all the praise songs and all the crying and the shouting and the Jericho marches or whatever you want to do. If you want to be my disciples, you must not a suggestion. You must hate everyone else by comparison. Now, is he telling us to hate? No, that's not what he's saying at all. Because you look at the, what Jesus said in the context of all of scripture, he obviously said we're to even love our enemies. So he's not saying we're to hate, but what he is saying is that our love for Jesus must be so big, so much bigger than our love for anyone else that our, our, that even our love for our family looks like hate when you compare how much we love them to how much we love Jesus. That's what he's saying here. If you want to be my disciples, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Even my own life? Yes. You have to get to the point where you hate even your own life in comparison. That you love Jesus way more than you love even living yourself. That, that, the, that the difference is so big that it looks like you hate your life when you compare it to how much you love Jesus. Is that still relevant for day, today for us to hear? Yes, it is. Let me ask you this. Whom do we take more pictures of today than anybody else? Yes, we live in a selfie world, right? Well, I don't have any friends and I'm here all by myself. I'm hanging out by myself. So I think I'll just take a picture of me. How many of you do the fish lips? Let me take a picture of me. We live in a selfie world. He goes on. Otherwise, you cannot. Somebody say, you cannot. You cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross. Now listen, when you were carrying your cross in Jesus' day, it wasn't a pendant on a, on, a, on a necklace around your neck somewhere. When you carried a cross in Jesus' day, it was because you were about to get crucified on it. And crucifixion is painful. It's not fun. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot. Somebody say cannot. You cannot be my disciple. Is that clear? As clear as it gets? Well, well, I can be a dis his disciple without carrying my cross. No, no, you can't. You can sit in church, but you're not his disciple. Th this is what Jesus is saying. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. But don't begin until you count the cost. What he's saying is you, you don't just run to the altar and, and, and get saved and make you know, this emotional uh, commitment, this emotional decision without expecting to change. 
It's going to require you to make a commitment. It's going to cost you something. He says, for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would, they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Okay, so he's talking about wisdom here. He's talking about counting the cost. If you go to buy a house, you have to count the cost. You have to think about it. But you're, but are you thinking about it when, you, when it comes to Christ? Because there is a cost in following Jesus too. Let's read the last verse of the passage that we're reading today, Luke 14, 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up what? Everything you own. Oh my. This, this, this is like a real commitment here. Everything? Yeah. Everything you own. Well, how much am I supposed to give? And now that we're in the New Testament and we're under grace and not under the law, everything. What about that 10% thing? Everything. Why, why does he even say that? Why does Jesus say we have to give up everything? Well, Jesus says we have to give up everything. He makes it very clear because most of us in our minds, we want to follow Jesus, but we want an easy road. Jesus knows that, that if there is an easier road, we human beings will choose it every single time. And he wants us to understand the cost of following him before we make the decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. We think we can give part of our lives and we can leave parts of our, of our lives for ourselves. We want to keep parts of ourselves and hold on to those parts. And so the, so the trend in America is that we want the pleasure of something without the cost. It's so true. Listen, I want to eat donuts without gaining weight. Come on. Anybody with me? That's what I want. I, you know, we, people say, I want, to, I want to have friends, but I don't want to be friendly. You know, I want to have a marriage, but I don't want to, I want it without responsibility. I want a great paying job, but I don't want to actually have to work. I want blessing with no cost. Amen? So, listen, here's the thing. Here's the truth. If you want a healthy body, what do you have to do? I don't know. You, I may be asking the wrong crowd. <laughs> so, I know I am. If I, somebody's asking me, I'd be like, yeah, why are you asking me? No, here's the truth. Somebody already said it. First of all, if you want to have a healthy body, you're going to have to exercise. You know, ugh, you know you're going to have to exercise and you're going to have to watch what you eat. Now, listen, I just want you to understand. I have always my entire life watched what I eat. I, I, I do. I do. I watch it all the way from the plate all the way up to my mouth. I keep my eye on it to make sure nobody's going to snatch it away. But seriously, though, you have to be careful about what you eat if you want to be healthy. You're not going to have a healthy body if you're stopping at Whataburger every single day. Amen. You're not going to be healthy that way. Most of us would would rather sit on the couch rather than do sit ups. You know why? The reason that you don't want to do sit ups is because. You don't want to do sit-ups. That's what it is. So you, so you spiritualize it and you say, well, if God wanted me, wanted me to do sit-ups, he would have put my toe, toes higher up on my body. Then it would be easier to reach. They'd be on my knees and then I could do sit-ups. That's what we do. But, uh, but Jesus in this story, he's walking along and he's kind of shocked 
by all of these people that are following him for the miracles. They're there because they fed, he fed the 5,000. Actually, it was more than that. That was the Bible says it was 5,000 men. So there was probably somewhere, there was somewhere between 10 and 20,000 people there. And Jesus fed them. And now they're like, oh, free food. Because free food attracts people. It does. It still does today. And so they're showing up for the miracles. They're hearing about these healings and the demons being cast out and blind seeing and deaf people hearing. And they're hearing all these things. And they're hearing about this great meal this, this, that, that he did where he multiplied the bread and the fish and all these things. And they're saying, hey, Jesus, when's the next meal? When are we going to have a buffet? When are we going to have a fifth Sunday potluck? You know, when are we going to do the when are you going to do the next miracle service? And Jesus says to them, that's a kind of a shallow way to live. And he says, maybe I haven't made it clear that it's going to cost you something to follow me. And then John 66, one of the saddest scriptures in the New Testament, says that at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. When Jesus told them what it was, that it was going to cost them to, to follow him, many of the people abandoned him. Wow. So I read that and I'm wondering about us today in this crowd, people watching the live stream. I wonder how many of us really know that there is a cost to follow Jesus, that, that, that you have to have a backbone to follow Jesus. It's not always a simple, easy thing to follow Jesus, but there is a cost. I wonder how many of us understand that and then still intentionally choose to follow Jesus. You know, I read an article about an Air Force pilot that was shot down over the Middle East during, uh, I think it was during the Gulf War, and, and he was shot down over enemy territory. And if, if, the, if the enemy would, would, have, would have caught him, they would have killed him. They would have put him on display, marched through the streets. They would have cut his head off and done all kinds of things to mutilate him. And, and so, but anyway, as uh, some incredible heroes went behind enemy lines, they rescued this pilot. But, but here's the thing, here's the thing. When I read about the pilot, he didn't complain about being in the Air Force. He signed up to be in the Air Force. When he signed up for the Air Force, he also signed up for the understanding that if he flew a plane off the aircraft carrier, that there was a possibility that he would be shot down by the enemy. He knew that could happen. He understood that there was a cost for signing up for the military, that he could possibly lose his life. I want to see a picture of a man. You'll see it on the screen here. This, the man you see on the screen is, is Chris Tanto Paranto. He, he is a retired army ranger. I don't know if, how many of you uh, heard of or you've seen the movie 13 Hours. You ever heard of that? It's the, it's the true, the movie tells us true story of the attack on our embassy in Benghazi on September 11, 2012. Our government told the military in the region to stand down, but there were three or four men that went into Benghazi to help the people who were trapped in the embassy, regardless of the orders. Chris Pronto was one of the guys that went in. He, 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 now listen, he looks like a nice man right there, but that's a bad man. That's a bad dude right there. For 13 hours, he and his buddies fought in an attempt to rescue our ambassador and the other people in, in the Benghazi embassy. And listen, after it was all over, he was angry after that all happened. But, but he wasn't 
necessarily angry that his friends came back in body bags because he knew that was part of the deal when he signed up for the military. When you join a branch of the military, there is always a possibility that, that, they, may, that they may be put in harm's way and, and, and you don't have an exemption from being killed. You could be killed. There's a cost involved that you know about before you sign up. Chris did not complain and say, you know, I just, I just can't believe that military sent me into a place where everybody had machine guns and my friends got killed. In fact, you know what he did say? He said, I'd rather go back with those people over there. I feel safer with them than I do over here. Talking about his buddies in the military. So, so you have these stories. And I'm going to come to a point here in a moment. This is all for a reason. There's another story of a soldier who was in one of our Humvees. She she takes, they, they were taking sniper fire, they were under attack, and, and, uh, and through this sniper fire, basically it just, it basically blew her arm off. You're going to hear the story. They're, they were able to save her arm, but a hand doesn't work. And I want you to listen to hear if she gets angry about this. All right, so let's listen to see what she says. She signed up, and she didn't expect to be maimed. I want you to listen to the end of what she has to say after all of the trauma that she went through. So watch this, watch this video with my right hand and I was firing my saw and I felt a flick on my bicep area on the on the shoulder there I felt a flick and it felt like a piece of shrapnel hit me but I, I could still use my arm well and I would continue to, to suppress and fire seconds after that my arm fell to my lap which I felt like my arm was completely gone so I continued to hold my rifle up there with my left hand I, I ducked down into the turret to tell my team that I've been hit and they can't hear me because it's really loud. They're firing their weapons out of their windows. And so I kick the vehicle commander, the team leader, which is sitting in the passenger seat in the back of the head. And he turned around and he saw that I, I'm sure that I was covered in blood by then. Um, I, would, I was looking through the turrets at the sky, um, talking with God and making my peace and realizing that I probably won't see my parents again. Um, but, you know, I was letting God know that I was ready. If he had a job for me, I was ready for it. They medevaced me back to Fallujah because the main cash from that area was in Fallujah. And then I started my route back to the States. The first round was what we'd call probably like an ideal gunshot. It was in and out, and it just snapped the, the humerus in half. But the second round, the one that made my arm fall to my lap, it blew everything out. The only thing attaching the, my hand to my arm was skin. Even though that around the corner you might get into a firefight or you might hit an IED, but the, the feeling of being around a group of brothers and sisters that are, are willing to give their life for you at any minute, any moment, it, it's, a, it's a feeling that sadly I don't think any civilian will ever feel. I'm so proud of my service. I'd do it again in a heartbeat, whether that meant me coming back or not coming back at all. Did you hear that? I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Whether that meant me coming back or not coming back at all. She said, I was willing, I'm willing to die. There are former military who have walked through these horrendous experiences, but they're not complaining. There's, there, many of them are saying, I, I'd, I'd like to go back if I could. 
So we hear this and we're inspired by that. But here's my point. Why is it that you and I in the church are, 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 are like, well, somebody didn't shake my hand in church today and then we're ready to walk out? You have people in the military losing their limbs and they say, I'm not going to give up. I'm, I'm going to keep fighting for freedom. I'm going to keep fighting for our country. And I'm saying to us, church, it's time for us to grow up and pull off our pampers. It's time for us to put on the full armor of God and become a man or a woman of God. Come on, church. It's time for us to grow up. I, I, you know, I didn't receive a phone call, so I'm going to quit. I didn't get my way, so I'm out of here. Do you see how far so much of the church has fallen and how soft we have become as believers that it's all about us and oh well they don't have the kind of music I like so I'm out of here they don't have this thing they don't have that and 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 we we're missing the point that it's not about us we're missing the point that following Jesus is about paying a price there's a cost it's about taking up our cross and following him. Do you see how we just shut our mouths if there's a group of people criticizing what we believe? We just kind of keep our mouths shut. Do you see how we refuse to engage people in conversations about truth because we just don't want the hassle? Listen to me. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just letting you know the bottom line. There's going to be a cost for following Jesus. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said, there's going to be a cost. Jesus was crucified for this gospel. You and I have to decide that we may lose our life doing this, but my commitment will not waver. If I lose my life, I gain my life. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm going to go to heaven if I lose my life. I'm going to gain my life if I lose it. And now you say, Pastor, I don't know. I can't go through all this. The cost is too high. I just can't handle it. How am I supposed to commit to this? How am I supposed to do this? Let me tell you what we do. The Bible is very, very clear in Matthew 11. It says this. Take my yoke. Somebody say my yoke. Say it again out loud. It's my yoke. It's not yours, it's not your friends, it's not my yoke. Jesus says it's Jesus' yoke and he wants us to take it upon us. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give is light. So here's the question. Why is life so heavy? Why is life so heavy? Well, here's what I can tell you. Life is heavy when you're roped, when you're yoked to the wrong thing. Life is heavy when you're yoked to the wrong thing. The Bible is very clear, clear that if you're yoked to Jesus, then he's going to pull you through no matter what you go through. Let, let me show you what a yoke is. There's a picture coming up on your screen here. I want you to see something about this. You can see this yoke there. Notice that when you're yoked, you're yoked to something else. It's two animals that, that are yoked together as they pull a plow or a wagon or something else. This is what they used, especially even, they still use it around the world today, but back in Jesus's day, they used something like this to, in farming and, and, and this is what they would do with the yoke. Let's go to the next, next picture there. You can see this. This is how they would set it up, especially for training new animals. They would have a larger animal that was stronger and more experienced, that knew the drill, that knew what they were doing, and they would yoke that oxen 
to a smaller, younger oxen that had not been trained. And when the younger ox wanted to bolt, when the younger ox said, I just want to stop right here, when the younger ox wanted to do something different, it could not run, it could not move, it couldn't do anything else because it's not strong enough to move the, the larger ox. The larger ox then, over a process of time, would eventually train the smaller, weaker ox to, to follow, to walk in the right way, to, to pull that plow in the right way, to, to do what the, whatever the job was done in the right, right way. So listen, you know, when the Bible says don't be unequally yoked, that means, listen, that, means that, that when mommy and daddy tell you that the boy you're dating is not right for you, He's not going to make you happy. He's not sold out to Jesus. We see it. We all know that. What they're saying to you is that you're yoking yourself to someone who's not going in the same direction that you are. And, and, and because, listen, when you get married, you're yoking yourself to someone. And if you don't marry the right person, then you're going to have a problem. So when you're not living your life the way you should, what it tells us is you're yoked to the devil and to the world. When you're living in sin, guess who the big box, big ox is in your life? The devil is the one leading you, leading you around. You, I, I just don't have any control. I, I don't have any self-discipline. I, I don't know why I keep looking at pornography. I don't know why I keep doing drugs. I, I don't know why I keep running around on my spouse. I don't know why I lust. I don't know why I keep falling into sin. It's because you're yoked to someone stronger than you are that is dragging you to places that you don't want to go. You need to let Jesus remove your yoke partner and then yoke yourself to him and he'll take you where you need to go. Does that make sense to anybody? Listen, what, what is a yoke? Is, is it a toy that you get for Christmas? No. A yoke is an instrument of work. So the two things I want you to, to know and understand about a yoke is, number one, a yoke means that you're, you're, you're yoked together with someone else. And the second thing is that it's an instrument of work. Work. Oh, the, the W word. I, you know, I, I, I just want to be like Jesus. Well, then you work. You don't just sit in church. If you're yoked to Jesus, you don't just come and sit in church. Is, is that what he did when he walked this planet? If he did that, then you do that. If he didn't do that, then you don't do that. He says, do what I do. Go where I go. Yoke yourself to me. Walk the way I walk. Live the way that I live. This is what he's saying. When we're yoked to Jesus, then we do whatever he did when he walked this planet. And listen, here's what happens. When we, when we aren't living that way, when we don't do what Jesus says to do, even though we're claiming to be yoked to him, it's because we have all these excuses. All right? So get ready. I'm sorry. Here it comes. You have excuses. You know what? Excuses are like armpits. Everybody has them and most of them stink. Right? We have people that, that couldn't come to church today because they had an excuse. You know, where are the car keys? I don't know. I don't know where the car keys are. Oh, Lord, it's getting late. I guess we shouldn't go. It's, I hate walking late. I couldn't find the car keys. And Jesus is like, I'm picturing him in heaven saying, car keys? I hung on a cross and, and died and you can't come to church because you can't find your car keys? Oh, where, where are my shoes? You know, I can't find the shoes that match my out, outfit. What do, what do I do? I can't go looking like this. So you stay home. Or it's, I'm tired. Man, I've had a long week. I'm exhausted. I just don't feel like going. 
Excuses. Excuses. And, I, and listen, I know no one here has one, but uh, because you're here, right? But let's just talk about people that, that are not here, all right? Luke 14, 15 says this. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. <laughs> he sounded all spiritual. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, the church service was ready to start. He sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. Come, the church service is starting. Let's party. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I need to inspect it. Please excuse me. You've got to excuse me. I just bought a house. Woo. I tell you, you know, I got to tear up the carpet. I got to, I got painting to do. I got to check for bugs upstairs. And I mean, the yard is up to here. I lost two kids in there last weekend. I got to mow the lawn and see if I can find those children. It's so I, I just can't go to church. I got all this stuff I got to do here. An excuse. Look at the next one. Verse 19. Another one said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. So, so in modern terms, I just bought me a tractor. You know, I, I got me a John Deere. It's got a big old manual on there, and I've just got to read that. I can't go to church. I just got a tractor. I love that tractor. I, if, I think it goes forward. Oh, yeah, there it goes. I think it goes back. Oh, yeah, there it goes. I, I got to figure this out. I can't go to Y'all go on to have the church with you. You go to church, but I got to stay here. Here's another one. Here's a good one. Verse 20. There's some men that have used this one. Another said, I now, <laughs> this one kind of makes me laugh. I now have a wife, so I can't come. <laughs> well, I'd like to go to church, but now, though, I, I've got a wife. I can't go anywhere. I used to be able to go places, and now I got married, and now I can't go places. I'm, I'm piercing my nose right here so I can use my wedding ring there so she can lead me around. I've, I'd love to come, but I have a wife. She doesn't let me go anywhere. I'm sorry, I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly, go now, go immediately. Find some people. Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Listen, why do we do the Easter egg hunt? Why do we give out turkeys at Thanksgiving? Why do we do the backpack giveaway? Why do we have trunk or treat outreach events? Why do we do all these things? Why do we support missionaries literally all over, all over the world? It's because we've got to reach everybody. It's not just those that have money. It's not just those that are like us. We want to find everybody that Jesus died for. I don't care who they are or where they live. Amen. Verse 22, after the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come in so that the house will be full. Now, did the master go out into the streets? No, the master told the servant to go. And Jesus told us, to go quickly. You, you're supposed to do that. We're supposed to do that. That's why we do all those things that we talked about. That's part of all this. But here's what we need to know about excuses. All excuses are, 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 are rooted in self-centeredness. 
Excuses are always about what I want to do. But here's the thing. Jesus said to be his disciple, you have to deny yourself. We're, we're, we're all into ourselves and we can't go any further until we get rid of ourselves. I'm saying that once you get saved, you don't own yourself anymore. This is what we have to understand. He, he, he wants to, to, to see you radically changed. And to see that happen in my life, I have to die. I don't have the say-so. I'm like a person in the military. I obey orders from the commander, and that's just the way it works. Now, and I want you to look at the very last line of this story that Jesus told, because this is, this is the part where if we don't pay attention, this is where it can get scary, folks. Jesus said this in Luke 14, 24. For none of those I first invited, those that, I, that had all the excuses about why I can't get involved and why I can't serve, why I can't give, why I can't be committed, why I can't come to the banquet. He says that none of those people will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. I didn't say this. I'm just telling what Jesus said. And this is the part of real Christianity that a lot of people just don't want to hear about today. You know, I, I, I can't help but wonder if the rapture happened on a Sunday morning, how many people will be left in the pews of churches across America because their pastor wouldn't teach what they needed to hear to get them prepared for what Jesus wants to see in their lives. Because you see, here's what we have to understand. It is not about what I want to see. It is not about what you want to see in your life. It's about what Jesus wants to see in your life. That's what's important. Isn't that what's important? Let me finish up here. The cost you have, you have to pay to follow Jesus is to obey what He wants you to do, not what you want to do. That's the cost. It's all about His decision, His will, doing what He wants. Here, I'm going to tell you something about Christianity, that we need to understand the truth of this. Christianity is not difficult. It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't do it by yourself. If you're not yoked up to Jesus, you're not going to make it. You're just not going to make it. It's over. You're done. You cannot go out into this world <clears throat> and face the devil that's been doing this and fighting God for millennia and, and he's been bringing down kings and dictators and bringing down some of the wisest, some of the strongest, some of the most faithful, some of the most powerful, and he's brought them down. Jesus was the only one that he could not bring down. So who are you and I to stand up and say, hey, that's all right, I got this, I got this. No, I have to have my partner with me. I have to have Jesus with me. I need the big bull right here by my side. I need him to be yoked together with me because I'm not going to be able to pull that plow. I'm not going to be able to, to, to pull that wagon. I'm not going to be able to get the job done. I'm not going to be able to, to walk the path that I need to walk. I can't do it on my own. I'm not strong enough. I need him right here beside me. I need him yoked to my life. And when there is a cost, and then you make it through, it is a tremendous feeling to know what you've, that you've conquered. You know what? You, you don't know that you're a conqueror <clears throat> until you have something to conquer, right? 
Jesus said, the Bible says that you, we, we are more than conquerors. Well, that's just nothing with, but words until we have to face something that needs to be conquered. And then when we make it through because of what Jesus does in our life, when we're yoked to him and he pulls us through to victory, all of a sudden we realize, hey, with Christ, I'm more than a conqueror. But it's only when we face that thing that needs to be conquered. What's the reaction when you've spent years of heartache in the dark and nobody has seen any, anything, uh, uh, spent years of heartache in the dark and nobody has seen anything at all? I don't think this will do any good, but I'll try. Thank you, Mary Beth. Nobody, you've seen nothing. And then all of a sudden, the, the, after years of seeing nothing happen, you showcase the strength of the Lord in your life and suddenly you conquer. Listen, you can, <clears throat> you can look at athletes that win it all. You can see it, you know, like the crying Jordan, you know, that meme that goes around, all these things. What, what do they do when athletes win it all? So often, what do they do? They cry. Why are they crying? Well, they're not crying because they won one race or they won one game or they're not even crying because they won a championship. They're crying because they're looking back at all the work that they put in since they were all the way in junior high school. They remember playing on the varsity team. They remember fighting through the junior varsity team. They remember shooting the basketball for hours in the gym when nobody else was around trying to get better. They remember running when nobody else was in the stands. And it's the emotion that comes from realizing that their perseverance was worth it. You know what I believe? I don't believe that when we get to heaven, whether it's by death or by the rapture, I don't believe that we're going to get there and, and we're suddenly, we're just going to be all calm and mellow and laid back. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, it's not like I'm going to walk through the streets, you know, pearly gates and walk in and say, well, hello there. My name's Dave. So I'm so glad to be here. I don't think that's going to happen. You know what we're going to do, I think? I think as soon as we hit those streets of gold, you've done everything that God has asked you to do. And he looks at you and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I believe in that moment you're going to take off and you're going to start running around and you're going to start saying, I made it. I made it. I won. I finished my race. I made it through the pearly gates of heaven by the grace of Jesus. Devil, you couldn't beat me because Jesus held me in his hand. Devil, you couldn't destroy me because the Holy Spirit was in heaven and I'm in heaven now and nothing's ever going to change that. Yeah! Now listen, I believe that you love Jesus. I believe you love to hear the word of God. I think most of you are like, hey, just, just tell me what it says. Don't, don't milk toast it. Don't water it down. Don't dilute it. I can handle it. Tell me exactly what it says. I may not like it, but I need to hear what Jesus is saying. But here's the truth, undiluted. If you want to make it to heaven, you need to understand that there is a cost to follow Jesus. The cost to follow Jesus is to go to the cross, to crucify the flesh, to die to yourself. Let, let me tell you something. Uncrucified flesh will always get you to compromise. It always will. What you haven't crucified in you is going to cause you to fall. 
Yeah, but pastor, you know, I've conquered this and I've conquered that, but yeah, okay, but what about this other area of your life? That's going to be the hang up for you. That's going to be where you trip up. Get rid of that thing. Some, somebody say everything. everything. Somebody say it again, everything. everything. That's what it costs to follow Jesus. Even if I have to give my life for Jesus, it's still a bargain if I get him in the end. What a bargain. If I have to give my life for him, what a bargain it is if I get him, if I get to be in his presence. Have you done that? Have you paid that price? That's the cost. That's what he's looking for. To bow your head and close your eyes all over the building. It's really easy to answer this. We're going to take just a couple of minutes with this, but all over the building, I just need you to listen to me. Your, your head's are bowed, your eyes are closed. Would you shut yourself in with God? Some of you, you, you look at your life and you have not given Him everything. There's still some areas that you're holding on to. There... There's no doubt that you love God. But that's not what I'm talking about. Because I don't think you'd be here if you didn't have some kind of connection with God, if you didn't love Him, if you didn't want Him. The question is, today, is won't you let Him have the parts that you haven't been ready to give up? Won't you give up those areas where He's been saying, hey, just surrender it to me. Give me this. Walk away from that. You're sitting here and you're thinking, I, I, I've just got to give him everything. I haven't given him everything. There's still some areas I've held on to. I've, I, I've given him some. I, I've given him most, but not everything. And I, I want to give him everything. I want to surrender it all to him. We sang that song earlier today in the service. You're worthy of it all. It's so true. He's worthy of my all. He's worthy of everything I have being surrendered to Him. And you're saying, I want to surrender to Him. I realize there's going to be a cost. I realize there's going to be pain. I realize there's going to be a fight. But the reward will be so incredible. So all over the building, if you'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give everything to God. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? And just say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. You know what I'm going to ask you to do? Mary Beth is going to sing that chorus. You're worthy of it all. Just the chorus. We're going to sing it one time through. And I'm going to ask you right now, if you want to give Him everything, I'm going to ask you to take a short walk to this altar. This is not saying, you know, that you're, you're not saved or that, that, that you're just far from God or anything like that. This is you simply saying, I know there's something I still need to surrender and I want to do it. And listen, I want to tell you something. If you want to do this, if you want to surrender everything to God, this is the easiest place to do it in the world. If you can't do it here, you'll never do it out in the world. So if that's you this morning, if you raised your hand or even if you didn't, you say, I want to surrender everything to God. I'm going to ask you to make your way to the altar very quickly. As Mary Beth sings, would you just go ahead and lead us?